Can you hear it with your ears? Can you see it with your eyes? Can you feel it wiggling between your quivering thighs? That thing, that thing, that thing with James. Once every millennium, something will come along. When you feel it, you will know it because it's coming on strong. That thing, that thing, that thing with James. That thing, that thing, that thing with James. That's me. Although I may not uh, recite it every episode, that is the theme of this song, of this show, this podcast. That's the, <laughs> it's the theme song of this podcast. And I uh, think I came up with it like just before recording my first episode of this show. So the reason I wanted to bring it up is, well, I just... Was that a spider? No, it's an ant, and it's right there now. Oh, sorry. You just witnessed a murder. I absolutely bodied an ant just now. Um, the the theme song I realize is in in um, con, con, uh, content. It's contentually similar to the contents of the topic of today's episode, which I will get to after this quick business. If you're new to the show, welcome to That Thing. I'm your host, James, and I'm accompanied by... Emily. And this show is about whatever I feel like it should be about any given episode. So the subject changes, the principles and general values stay the same, but the topic kind of changes. Uh, this this is uh, our own little niche, if you will. I, I hate that kind of language, niche. Uh, but there it is, disruption. Disrupting. Um, this show is about well, many different things. We've talked about all sorts of different stuff, and I've interviewed all sorts of cool and interesting and unique people. Um, and today, I'm going to talk about someone that is, I feel, a pretty well-known and very unique historical figure. But first, some quick business. If you have an idea for a subject or a story you would like me to cover on the show. If you want some advice on the show, I, I can keep you anonymous about what, anything, even topics I don't even know about. I'll give you advice. <laughs> so, or, or, if, or if you have a business inquiry or just want to say nice things to me, send me an email at thatthingwithjames at gmail.com. I... I, I will try to read it. I, I first, I assume I never received mail. So a few days ago, I looked at it, and I, I had quite a bit of mail dating back to December of 2020 or 2019. <laughs> wow. Wow. I think it was 2020. It was December of 2020. Mm -hmm. It was, I swear. And I had reached out to some other people like, hey, uh, can I be a guest on your show? And apparently they reached back to me like a week later. So I'd already like stopped 
waiting for their message. And I was like, <laughs> fuck it. I never get mail on here. I've received some mail from um, viewers slash listeners of the show. Listeners, if you don't already know, uh, this show's up on YouTube. And, and I think it's even more gooder with the video to go with it. But anyway, um, other than the few, you know, uh, cl not client, the people who watch or listen to the shit, I got some emails from them, but I already covered that. And then at the end of 2020, yeah, I got an email back saying, hey, uh, do you want to be on the show? You can pick the topic. And then like two days later, after I hadn't replied, hey, <laughs> where are you at? And I want to email them back and give them the excuse of like, oh, I was homeless. But it was in December. So that was a couple months that's before, before we were that's homeless. before the homeless. Yeah. So I just haven't replied to them. And then I got another email saying like, hey, do you want to make like unique sponsored content? Like, do you want to make commercials on your show? And I didn't know. I, I don't know. It depends. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know that this show is big enough yeah, for me to really have commercials. So I don't really trust an email saying we want to advertise on your show. Yeah. And all in all, honestly, the only ads I would really want on this show are fake ads, satire ads that I I write. <laughs> I've done it before. Yeah, you have. But. Um, I, I ideally I would like to keep this show ad free and you can make that happen. And not only that, but you can also get access to the weekly bonus episodes. That's one bonus episode every week. Um, and you can subscribe for $5 a month, which is pretty cheap. Only five bucks for the entire month. Go to patreon.com slash that thing with James. I do shout-outs like in the episode description. I do verbal shout-outs at the end of the show. Well, I would do if I had them. <laughs> I do um, thank you letters handwritten by me, which, ooh, letters. That's kind of the topic of today. Wonder what it's going to be. Um, and just, again, bonus episodes and whatever random content I might get around to putting on there. Patreon.com slash that thing with James. Check it out. Um, what else? I, I might as well plug my socials. Yeah. At James J. Asher. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Although TikTok's kind of fucking me up because my phone's kind of fucking up and I'm just putting off having to take it to a store or or back it up or any bullshit because that's just such a pain in the ass. I already set the thing up. I don't want another system reset. I don't want to have to start from scratch again. I'd go through a lot to get this damn thing turned on. Yeah. I mean, you'll do what you got to do. To get my fucking voicemail set up. But um, yeah, at James J. Asher. And you can also check out my subreddit and, you know, post some good uh, shit posts, some good bad memes on there r slash that thing with james hell you can even bring up topics for the show because i i'd love to have some help um thinking up shit to talk about on the show so yeah that's all the um that's all the business stuff so let's get on with the show i'm talking about today we are talking about james joyce uh he was a writer have you heard of james joyce yeah i bought you this book 
You did. You bought me his book. And then I think I read more of it than you did. You probably did. Yeah. Uh, let me give you an example. Let me grab it real quick. Mind you, he would begged for this as a gift. I'm still going to read it at some point. Sure you are. If I, if I can get, um, let's see, if I can get at least 10 more subscribers on Patreon, I will start reading this book. If I get 25 subscribers on Patreon, I will read this entire fucking book. Um, man, I hope I was just covering the title because I don't want to give it away just yet. Let me read something here. Let me let me go to where my bookmark is. Uh, here, page 98. Let's start at the top. It's kind of hard to tell where to start because, well, there are no paragraphs. Um, <laughs> no paragraphs, no chapter numbers, no nothing. Uh, okay, here we go. And it really doesn't matter. Like, I think I'm starting in the middle of a sentence, but it really doesn't fucking matter. You're about to find out why. A hundred of manhood and a whimmering of weebs. Big went the bang, then wild wide was quiet. A report, silence. Last fama put it under ether. A noise or the loath had driven him. Blem, blem, stun, blem. Sparks flew. He had fled again. Open Sheshanma. This country of exile sloughed oft, sidles homed via the subterranean, shored with bedboards, stowed away and anchored in a Dutch bottom tank. The Arsa, hold SS Finlandia, was even now occupying under an Islamic Nuhuame in this seventh generation, a physical body, Cornelius McGrath's bad caracatur. Kamanonorong Kanbong is the Asia major, whereas Turk of the theater, first house all flatty, the king eleven sharps, he had be piastered the buicondasius from the opulence of his omnibox, while as Arab at the sh- at the street door he be pestered a bumshaws for the alms of Paris pants. Wires hummed, peacefully general astonishment assisted by regretitude had put a term till his existence. He saw the family, Sagarth, resigned, put off his remainders, was recalled and sheep-headed by the maker. Chirpings crossed, an infamous private ailment, Volgoravnavaral, had claimed and right, closed his vicious circle snap. Jams jarred. He had walked towards the middle of an ornamental lily pond when inebriated up to the point where braced shirts met knickerbockers, a a wangfish daring the buoyant waters when the rodents' first aiding hands had rescued on from very possibly several feel of 
demiferish water, mush spread, on Umbrella Street where he did drinks from a pump, a kind of workman, Mr. Whitlock gave him a piece of wood. What words of power were made fast between them, echenemus and ochnoms, achnomia ichnomia? What, oh, that did Hansard tell us would garn gans dub, each wag in every pub of all the sitta. Batty believes a batten while Hogan hears a hall, yet here prefers a punsel. Excuse me. <laughs> You're the loudest fucking drinker in the world. I didn't realize. Jesus Christ. What words of power? I have to go back and read this. What words of power were made fast between them? Echinemas, ochinemas, acnomia, ichnomia. Oh, that, oh, that did Hansard tell us would Gargon's dub's ear wag in every pub and all the sitter. Batty believes a bat, and while Hogan hears hot, yet here prefers a pencil sharpener, and cope and bull go cup and ball. And the Cassidy, Craddock Rome, and Rem round arrow, wage narrow wage, is still immer and immor a waggering over it a cradle with a care in it or a casket with a kick behind totsies testies quotesies questies the war is in words and the wood is the world maple me willowy we hickory he and you yourselves <laughs> that is an excerpt that is a, a page out of the Oxford World Classics um, copy, pu- a printing of Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce, one of the silliest and most difficult to read books ever fucking made. Yep. I love it. It just, I found that easier for me to read than it was before. I think maybe my brain just wasn't malleable enough at the time to really take in these words. I was a lot more tense in those days. Yeah. I'm a lot less tense now. And it's easier for me now to read this uh, Finnegan's Wake. I think it was his last book. I have no idea. He was like mostly blind when he wrote this. And his... Did he have syphilis or was it like he just got I old think and blind? I think he had a bit of syphilis. Probably. I think he had some of the syph. Um, and James Joyce, well, he was blind in one eye. If you see pictures of him later, he wore glasses, but I believe the left lens was blacked out. Sometimes you'd just see him wearing an eye patch over his left eye. And then he was just severely nearsighted. Okay. And he had, he'd had terrible eyesight for, I think, his entire life. Nearsighted. Much like me. And I guess they didn't have glasses strong enough for him or something, or maybe he had some weird fucking astigmatism. But he wrote this book um, on giant sheets of paper that his lover, Nora, whom we will be talking about, um, Nora would bring him these giant sheets of paper and packs of crayons, wax crayons. And he would just write all this out, this entire book by hand on crayons in on huge sheets of paper. At least that's what I understand. Um, let's see. The back. Sorry, if you're hearing howling, that's our downstairs neighbor's children who never set foot outside. 
Very weird. It's really fucking weird. Uh, and I feel like they wouldn't be hooting and hollering if they set foot outside. Mm, touched, touched grass. Go wear them out like a dog. Yeah. So on the back it says, In Chippelazod, a suburb of Dublin, an innkeeper and his family are sleeping. Around them and their dreams, there swirls a vortex of world history, of ambition and failure, desire and transgression, pride and shame, rivalry and con- blah, 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 blah. It's a huge work of stream of consciousness writing, and I love stream of consciousness. I know a lot of people- Not mine. Not your thing, but there's like scholars who say, oh, blah, 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 blah. And the thing about scholars is they're fucking nerds. I should know. I spent a, a, a not insubstantial amount of time in academia. Uh, fucking nerds. <laughs> they don't know how to have fun. Okay. Um, so... The reason I read that is because I wanted to bring up James Joyce is because yesterday, Emily and I were driving to dinner at a really good place called Society Burger, and it's really fucking good. Um, Well, when we were going around a corner at an intersection, making a left turn, we passed by a man who, I swear to God, looked the spitting image of James Joyce. He even had the glasses. Yeah. He even had the facial hair. He even had the hair on his head. He looked like James Joyce if James Joyce worked out. I mean, the guy wasn't muscle-bound, but, you know, he was a healthy probably 50-something. He looked exactly like James Joyce, and I freaked out. And then that made me think of what I wanted to talk about today and that is James Joyce's love letters to Nora. Let's see what time are we at? Where are we at right now? Oh, we got we're 18 minutes and 32 seconds in currently. It is Sunday and I'm going to read to you his love letters to Nora. But first, I want to give you a little background and what better um, resource to to read from than Wikipedia? Because fuck it, I'm not writing a grad school paper right now. So, which even when I was doing papers in grad school, you fucking start at Wikipedia. Yeah. Because from there you can find sources and then that gets the ball rolling. Yeah. Because you can't use Wikipedia. Yeah. And it makes sense. You shouldn't. But that's a great place to get a general idea, and initial seed sources. Okay. Now, for those who deny... I was trying to do Scottish. (laughs) Joyce is Irish. In in case you've never heard of James Joyce, uh, he was a brilliant writer. Uh, Let's see. I'll just read the, the intro part. James Augustine Aloysius Joyce, born February 2nd, 1882, uh, died January 13th, 1941. James Joyce was an Irish novelist, short story writer, poet, teacher, and literary critic. He contributed to the modernist avant-garde movement and is regarded as 
one of the most influential and important writers of the 20th century. James is best known for Ulysses, published in 1922, a landmark work in which the episodes of Homer's Odyssey are paralleled in a variety of literary styles, most famously Stream of Consciousness. Other well-known works are the short story collection Dubliners, published in 1914, and the novels A Portrait of the Young Man as an... A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, published 1916, and Finnegan's Wake, published 1939, two years before he died. Um, His other writings include three books of poetry, a play, and his published letters and occasional journalism. Joyce was born in Dublin into a middle-class family, a brilliant student, He attended the Jesuit Conglos Wood College in Kildare, then briefly the Christian Brothers Run O'Connell School before exiting or before ex oh excelling at the Jesuit Belvedere College. Despite the chaotic family life imposed by his father's unpredictable finances, all this. He went on to attend the University of College, uh, University College Dublin. In 1904, in his early 20s, Joyce emigrated to continental Europe with his partner and later wife, Nora Barnacle. What a last name. Barnacle. <laughs> they lived in Trieste, Paris, and Zurich. Although most of his adult life was spent abroad, Joyce's fictional universe centers on Dublin and is populated largely by characters who closely resemble family members, enemies, and friends of his time there. Uh, Ulysses in particular is set with uh, precision in the streets and alleyways of the city. Shortly after the publication of the book, he elucidated his preoccupation somewhat, saying, quote, For myself, I always write about Dublin because if I can get to the heart of Dublin, I can get to the heart of all the cities in the world. In particular, is contained the universal. End quote. Jesus, that boy is going nuts down there. Yeah. Okay, so that's James Joyce. Ah, la, la. Okay, all right. Now, on to Nora Barnacle. It's kind of hard for me to read at this angle. Uh, Okay, Nora Barnacle, born March 21, 1884, died April 10th, 1951. Wow, she lived another 10 years after James. Yeah, she was 67, I think. He was 59 when he died. Um... Uh, Nora Barnacle was the muse and wife of Irish author James Joyce. Barnacle and Joyce had their first romantic assignation in 1904 on a date celebrated worldwide as the, quote, Bloomsday of his modernist novel Ulysses, a book that she did not, however, enjoy. Love that. The book is about them meeting. It's about the day they met, and it's set all within 24 hours. 
And apparently you can make a very accurate map of Dublin just following what he describes in the book. It's pretty cool. Yeah, right? I love that she didn't like it. She's like, yeah, not my favorite thing I've ever read. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm. Excuse me. Their sexually explicit letters have aroused much curiosity, especially as Joyce normally disapproved of coarse language. And they fetch high prices at an auction. At auctions, Barnacle was played by Susan Lynch in the 2000 biopic Nora. Interesting. Um, wow, I didn't know he disapproved of cursing. Well, you know, he wouldn't be able to tell it from his writings. He's a nasty bitch. Mm. Well, he's he's a gentleman in the street. And, oh no, he's a gentleman. <clears throat> On the street and then a freak in the sheets, so. Easy for you. Yeah. So, these love letters. I've been interested about them for a minute. I think I might have first seen them on some random... Oh, I saw it on YouTube. I think there were some comedians were reading excerpts from the letters. Yeah. And I was like, what is this about? So, I, I looked it up online... And uh, the first article that I really found was on brainpickings.org. Joyce's Love Letters. Uh, Let's see. Let me just read a little bit of here to give you the same introduction I really got. This was written by Maria Popova. As an ardent lover of love letters, I have encountered few exemplars of this genre more piercing than those penned by James Joyce. Um, In 1904, just after his major essay was rejected from publication, 22-year-old Joyce met Nora Barnacle, a young chambermaid he described as, quote, a simple, honorable soul, end quote, one, quote, incapable of any of the deceits which pass for current morality, end quote. From the moment they met until Joyce's dying day, the two were bound by an uncommon love that translated into a relationship unconventional in many ways, especially by the era's standards. They had a son and a daughter out of wedlock and didn't marry until 27 years into their lifelong relationship. Nora, unselfish, Honest, Nora's unselfish honesty was intensely alluring to Joyce. Only with her was he, a man otherwise guarded and chronically mistrustful, capable of complete self-revelation. She was the non-judgmental, loving receptacle for his dueling enormities of ambition and self-consciousness that often bled into self-loathing. The unflinching trust that developed between them became the supreme engine of their love. For what is love if not the net we trust will catch us as we fall from the grace into our deepest imperfections, then bounce back up to our higher selves? Oh, wow. Yeah. This person was masturbating while they wrote that. (laughs) In a letter from October of 1909, found in Joyce's altogether spectacular selected letters, the same treasure trove that gave us the teenage author's beautiful letter of appreciation to Ibsen, his greatest hero, and his poetic plea to Lady Gregory. 
27-year-old Joyce writes to Nora during a trip to Dublin, and I quote, You dear strange little girl, and yet you write as if... Let me start that over. You you dear strange little girl, and yet you write to ask if I am tired of you. I shall never be tired of you, dearest. I cannot write you so often this time as I am dreadfully busy from morning to night. Do not fret, darling. If you do, you will ruin my chances of doing anything. After this, I hope... We shall have many, many, many long years of happiness together. My dear, true, good little Nora, do not write again doubtfully of me. You are my only love. You have me completely in your power. I know and I feel that if I am to write anything fine or noble in the future, I shall do so only by listening at the doors of your heart." Two days later, still away and working hard to have Dubliners published, Joyce is seized with longing for Nora as he grows even more homesick. Quote, My darling, tonight the old fever of love has begun to awake again in me. I am a shell of a man. My soul is in Trieste, a couple's home. You alone know me and love me. End quote. A century before philosopher Martha Nossbaum's terrific treatise on why embracing our neediness is essential for healthy relationships, Joyce embraces his and pleads with Nora in the same letter, quote, I am a jealous, lonely, dissatisfied, proud man. Why are you, uh, why are you not more patient with me and kinder with me? The night we went to Madame Butterfly together, you treated me most rudely. I simply wanted you. I wanted to feel your soul swaying with languor and longing as mine did when she sings of romance of her hope in the second act, Un bel One day, one day, we shall see a spire of smoke rising on the furthest verge of the sea, and then the ship appears. I am a little disappointed in you. Then another night I came home to your bed from the cafe and I began to tell you of all I hope to do and to write in the future and of those boundless ambitions which are really the leading forces in my life. You would not listen to me. It was very late, I know, and of course you were tired out after the day. But a man whose brain is on fire with hope and trust in himself must tell someone what he feels. Whom should I tell but you? End quote. But after this lamentation, the letter rises above these trifling resentments and takes a most heartening turn toward the ultimate assurance of love, that however short, we may fall of our highest selves. Uh, however much we may disappoint our loved ones, they will love us anyway and love us not despite but because of our imperfect humanity. Decades before Joseph Campbell admonished against the deadliness of perfectionism in love, Joyce writes, I, where is, where is the stuff? This is the boring shit. I want the nasty. Give me the nasty shit. You know what? It's probably going to be PG rated on that. Oh my God. All right. Come on. Come on. It's some teetotaling. Here's maybe something. Here's maybe something. 
I'll wait. I'll wait. Do your loud drinking. Go ahead. Slurp it up, chuckle fuck. Slurp it. What? <laughs> when it became apparent that the whole thing had been misunder a misunderstanding and Nora had never been unfaithful, he proceeded to send her a series of letters, both breathtakingly beautiful and utterly heartbreaking, further berating himself for having so misjudged, misjudged his beloved's character and beseeching her to forgive him in an intensely self-flagellating letter from early November of 1909, Joyce writes, You write like a queen. As long as I shall live, I shall always remember the quiet dignity of that letter, its sadness and scorn, and the utter humiliation it caused me. I have lost your esteem. I have worn down your love. Leave me then. Take away your children from me. <laughs> Save them from the curse of my presence. Let. Oh, <laughs> I'd be like, uh-uh. <laughs> Fucking, I, I don't deserve you. You're too good for me. Take our kids. Take them away from me. I am a dog. <laughs> I, I only imagine if she did leave and he'd just be like, all right, cool. It'd be like a, a hoochie fest in there real quick. Oh, and you know he's fucking everyone. Yeah. You know he's fucking everyone. Um... Take away your children from me to save them from the curse of my presence. Let me sink back again into the mire I came from. Forget me and my empty words. Go back to your own life and let me go alone to my ruin. It is wrong for you to live with a vile beast like me or to allow your children to be touched by my hands. Leave me. It is a degradation, a shame for you to live with a low wretch like me. Act bravely and leave me. You have given me the finest things in this world, but you were only casting pearls before swine. <laughs> oh my god, damn. This is so intense. This is awesome. If you leave me, I shall live forever with your memory, holier than God to me. I shall pray with your name. And I'd be like, you're nuts, man. I don't <laughs> think so. Imagine getting this as a text. I'm pretty sure I've sent this text. If I've ever I'm pretty received, sure I've sent this if text I've ever a lot. received a text, a text like this, I'd be like, block and get a restraining order. Is that why everyone I ever sent this text to stopped talking to me? Yes. Nora, remember something good of the poor wretch who dishonored you with his love. Think that your lips have kissed him and your hair has fallen over him and that your arms have held him to you. I will not sign my name because it is the name you called me when you loved me and honored me and have me in your tender soul to wound and betray. Oh my God, he needs to chill out. End quote. Uh, and yet... <laughs> the most hope-giving part of the episode is that the perceived breach of trust only strengthened their bond. Perhaps it is no accident that we use the heart, a mighty muscle, 
as the symbolic seedbed of love. It's a biologically apt metaphor. We can't build our bodily muscles without first tearing down the fibers of which their tissue is woven. Hypertrophy, or muscle growth, occurs when the body repairs the fibers torn down during exercise, thickening them in the repair process. I should have been reading this person's writing in that voice this whole time. Weird voice. Trust, too, grows by the hypertrophy. This is my NPR. I mean, that makes sense. A day later, Joyce writes to Nora, or of Nora, for he uses the third person to relay uh, her diaristic vignette intended to convey the depth of his feelings for her. Quote, I received two very kind letters from her today, so that perhaps, after all, she still cares for me. Last night, I was in a state of utter despair when I wrote to her. Her slightest word has an enormous power over me. She asks me to try to forget the ignorant Galloway, Nora's home, girl that came across my life and says I too I am too kind to her. Foolish, good-hearted girl. <laughs> Does she not see what a worthless, treacherous fool I am? Her love for me perhaps blinds her to it. I shall never forget how her short letter to me yesterday cut me to the quick. I probably tore his ass apart. I felt that I had tried her goodness too far, and that at least she turned on me with quiet scorn. Today I went to the hotel where she lived when I first met her. I halted in a dingy doorway before going in. I was so excited. I've been in the room where she passed out so often, a strange, with a strange dream of love in her young heart. My God, the eye, my eyes are full of tears. <laughs> Why do I cry? <laughs> I cry because it is so sad to think of her moving about that room, eating little Simply dressed, simple-mannered, and her watchful, and carrying always within her, her secret heart, the little flame from which burns up the soul and bodies of men. <laughs> I cry, too, with pity for her, that she should have chosen such poor, ignoble love as mine, and with pity for myself. Oh. He's self-pitying? He's been that way. He's whining. <laughs> I couldn't tell. That I was not worthy to be loved by her. Twice while I was writing these sentences tonight, the sobs gathered quickly in my throat and broke from my lips. I have loved in her the image of the beauty of the world, the mystery and beauty of life itself, the beauty and doom of the race of whom I am a child, the images of spiritual purity, a pity which I believe is in as a boy. Her soul... Her name, her eyes, they seem 
To me, like strange, beautiful wildflowers growing in some tangled, rain-drenched hedge, and I have felt her soul tremble beside mine, and I have spoken her name softly into the night, and have swept to see the beauty of the world passing like a dream behind her eyes. Jim and Nora remained together for the remainder of the author's days, complement the amorous portion of Joyce's wholly magnificent selected letters with love letters from, uh, with, with love letters of Idris Murdoch, Vladimir Nabokov, Charlotte Bronte, Oscar Wilde, Ludwig von Beethoven, James Treber, Albert Einstein, Franz Kafka, and Frida Gallo. We're going to take a quick pee break, and I'm going to find the dirty letters because that's what I want to read. You wanted to read him being a self-pitying scumbag, obviously. I wanted to read him being a self-pitying scumbag. Yeah, he was just like, wah, 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 these ones. Yeah, well, I want to find the good shit. I mean, that was pretty fucking good, but yeah. I want to find the dirty shit, so... We're going to take a quick bathroom break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. <laughs> Boy, that was a refreshing piss. <laughs> All right, let's read these fucking letters. Do you want to? Yeah. Um, have you ever heard or read his love letters? I've read a couple of them because you were like, have you heard of this? And I looked it up. And this was years ago. Yeah. I think back like. 2015 or 16. I have no idea, but yeah. Um, so, yeah. I had to do a little digging, but I found a PDF of collected love letters from James Joyce. Um, this collection was published in 2013. Uh, and it starts as, as such. 1909. James Joyce lives in Trieste. Am I pronouncing that right? Trieste, Italy. I believe it should be Trieste. Trieste? Okay. I've always called it Trieste for some reason, but if it's Italian... Well, well, let's look it up. How to pronounce Trieste. I really feel like it's going to be Trieste. Oh, no, Trieste. Yeah, I was right. Trieste. Delete my... See? Delete mine. Delete that. Okay. 1909. James Joyce lives in Trieste, Italy, with his family. End of October, he leaves alone for Dublin on a business trip and stays there until the end of December. He makes a pact with his wife to write each other erotic letters. The letters of his wife disappeared, but the ones he wrote were published in a long out-of-print collection in 1975 and at the behest of Joyce's surviving family, were, <laughs> were never printed again. The transcriptions of these letters are taken from Richard Ellman, Selected Letters of James Joyce, Introduction, Faber and Faber, London, 1975. Uh, so his wife's letters just disappeared. Also known as he didn't save them, he threw them away. He, he probably burned them because he didn't want anyone reading them. Yeah. You know? Or, or, yeah, I'm sure he and the wife were like, we have to burn these. 
And he said, I'll burn them. And he only burned hers, but kept his because, well, these he's a writer. This is his writing. I would bet she kept them. You think she kept them? I think she kept them because he wrote her. And she probably had them in a little box with, like, other things that he sent her. Trinkets. I think it's pretty funny that, like, the grandkids were like, I don't want to think about this. Please, please stop talking about my grandpa fucking my grandma up arsewise. Yeah. Which you'll hear about in these letters, maybe, if, if we come across that one. All right, so here's a quote from James Joyce. I am so glad I am now in sight of Miramar. The only thing I hope is that I haven't brought on that cursed thing by what I did. Pray for me, dearest. Adieu, 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 Jim. All right. So let's let's just. I'm gonna read these to you. All right. And if a if a, a feeling or a thought pops up, just toss it out there. Okay. Even if it's a burp. Okay. Here we go. To Nora. 20 December 1909, 44 Fontenoy Street, Dublin. My sweet, naughty girl, I got your hot letter tonight and have been trying to picture you frigging your cunt in the closet. How do you do it? Do you stand against the wall with your hand tickling up under your clothes? Or do you squat down on the hole with your skirts up and your hair in your heart? and your hand hard at work in through the slit of your drawers. Does it give you the horn now to shit? (laughs) What does that even mean? I don't know. Does it give you the horn now to shit? I, I wonder how you can do it. Do you come home in the act of shitting, or do you frig yourself off first and then shit? It must be a fearfully lecherous thing to see a girl with her clothes up, frigging furiously at her cunt to see her pretty white drawers pulled open behind her and her bum sticking out and a fat brown thing stuck halfway out of her hole wait so she likes to think she likes to blumpkin herself you know tweak tweak her clip while she's shitting yeah wow but it sounds like he's into this poop play um you say you will you say you will shit your drawers dear and let me fuck you then I would like to hear you shit them, dear, first, and then fuck you. Some night, when we are somewhere in the dark and talking dirty, and you feel your shite ready to fall, put your arms around my neck in shame and shit it down softly. The sound will madden me, and I will pull up your dress. No use continuing. You can guess why. The cinematograph opened today. I leave for Trieste on Sunday to January. I hope you have done what I said about the kitchen, linoleum and armchair and curtains. By the way, don't be sewing those drawers before anybody. Is your dress made? I hope so, with a long coat, belted and cuffed with the leather, etc. How am I to manage Eileen? Note, his sister. Fair, I don't know. For God's sake, arrange that you and I can have a comfortable bed. I have no great wish to do anything to you, dear. All I want is your company. You may rest easy about my going with blank. Note, Mm -hmm. 
A word is omitted by Joyce in the original, uh, presumably, quote, whores. Uh, his infidelities with prostitutes had upset Nora. Can't imagine why. <laughs> you understand? That won't happen, dear. Oh, I am hungry now. A day, uh, the day I arrived, get, the day I arrive, get Ava to make one of those threepenny puddings and make some kind of vanilla sauce without wine. I would like roast beef, rice soup, gapuza garbi, mashed potatoes, pudding, and black coffee. No, no, I would like staccato di macaroni, a mixed salad, stewed prunes, toroni, tea, and preznitz. Or no, I would stewed eels or polenta with... Uh, excuse me, dear. I am hungry tonight. Nora, darling. It just gets weirder and weirder. Cause it's like, first he comes off real horny, and he's talking about poop. And then he's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to talk about this other thing real quick. We're going to switch the subject. And then <laughs> he's like talking about that for a minute. And he's like, yeah, right. And then he just starts talking about food. Yeah. How wasted was he when he wrote this? Nora, darling, I hope we will pass happy a happy year together. I am writing Stanny tomorrow about cinematograph. Okay, so uh, what just happened? Well, first he wanted to talk about poop play with her. And he was like, oh yeah, I can't wait for you to poop while you diddle yourself and like blah, blah, blah. And like, hold on to me while you're shitting your pants. Yeah, apparently he was into that. And then he just starts talking about his sister and like she's coming to visit and they don't have a bed. I think he's talking about their own bed. Oh. It's not very nice. Not good. It's not soft. Okay. Uh, let's, let's read this next one. To Nora, 2, December, 1909, 44 Fontenoy Street, Dublin. My darling... I ought to begin by begging your pardon, perhaps for the extraordinary letter I wrote you last night. While I was writing it, your letter was lying in front of me, and my eyes were fixed, as they are even now, on a certain word of it. There is something obscene and lecherous in the very look of the letters. The sound of it, too, is like the act itself, brief, brief brutal, irresistible, and devilish. Darling... Do not be offended by what I wrote. <laughs> Darling, do not be offended by what I wrote. You thank me for the beautiful name I give you. Yes, dear, it is a nice name. My beautiful wild flower of the hedges. My dark blue rain-drenched flower. You see, I am a little of the poet still. I am giving you a lovely book for a present, too. And it's a poet's present for a woman he loves. But side by side, and inside the spiritual love I have for you, there is also a wild beast craving for every inch of your body, for every secret and shameful part of it, for every odor and act of it. My love for you allows me to pray to the spirit of eternal beauty and tenderness mirrored in your eyes, or to fling you down under me on that soft belly of yours and fuck you up behind like a hog riding a sow. (laughs) (laughs) 
glorying in the open shame of your upturned dress and white girlish drawers and in the confusion of your flushed cheeks and tangled hair. It allows me to burst into tears of pity and love at some slight word, to tremble with love for you at the sounding of some chord or cadence of music, or to lie heads and tails with you, feeling your fingers fondling and tickling my bollocks, or stuck up in my behind, and your hot lips sucking off my cock while my head is wedged between your fat thighs, my hands clutching the round cushions of your bum, and my tongue licking ravenous up your rank red cunt. I have taught you... (laughs) I I like that he's up here, he's like, all right, I will fuck you like some animals, but not, also, not just that, a pig. Yeah. I'm gonna fuck you like a pig. But he's choosing this time to refer to her vagina as rank. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you didn't even blink at that. And I'm and like, they're yeah. Also, they're 69ing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like, like, can't wait for that stinky thing to get near me. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers fondling and tickling my bollocks are stuck up in me behind, and your hot lips sucking off my cock. While my head is wedged in between your fat thighs. He's <laughs> got bitch, you got fat thighs. Look at thunder you got thighs. Fat ass. <laughs> my hands clutching the round cushions of your bum and my tongue licking ravenously up your rank red cunt. I have taught you almost to swoon at the hearing of my voice singing or murmuring to your soul the passion and sorrow and mystery of life and at the same time have taught you to make filthy signs to me with your lips and tongue to provoke me by obscene touches and make noises and even do it in my presence, the most shameful and filthy act of the body. You remember the day you pulled up your clothes and lie under and, and, and let me lie under you, looking up at you, at you as you did it, and then you were ashamed even to meet my eyes. So he watched her shit. He got up under her while she shit and watched her shitting. He's maybe his soul jumped into uh, John McAfee. Maybe. You know, they're all about watching that shit play. He probably like put it in his mouth too, I bet. Both of them. Uh, You are mine, darling, mine. I love you. All I have written above is only a moment or two of brutal madness. The last drop of seed has hardly been squirted up your cunt before it is over, and my true love for you, the love of my verses, the love of my eyes for you, strange, luring eyes, comes blowing over my soul like a wind of spices. My prick is still hot and stiff and quivering from the last brutal drive it has given you, when a faint hymn is heard rising in tender, pitiful worship of you from the dim cloisters of my heart. Nora, my faithful darling, my sweet black, my sweet-eyed blackguard schoolgirl, be my whore, my mistress, as much as you like. My little friggin' mistress, my little fucking whore. You are always my beautiful wildflower of the hedges and my dark blue rain-drenched flower, Jim. Oh, boy. What do you think of that? Uh, I, th- I think he's like, hey, I'll stop 
with the prostitutes, you know, like the sex workers. I'm, I'm done with them as long as you'll be one. As long as you'll let me fuck you up the ass while you're shitting. Yep. Mm. Quick note, this is an explicit show. so glad I am now in sight of Miramar. The only thing I hope is that I haven't brought on that cursed thing by what I did again. Pray for me, dearest. Adieu, 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 adieu. Jim. Alright, next letter. Alright, here we go. To Nora, 20 December 1909, 44 Fontenoy Street, Dublin. My sweet, naughty girl, I got your hot letter. Oh, wait. This is the same fucking one right here. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Next one. Skipping that. To Nora, 3 December 1909. My l- darling little covenant girl, there is some star to... Covenant. Oh, convent. Covenant. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my sweet blood-packed partner. <laughs> we created a covenant. We shall, we shall, we shall never share with anyone else, nor speak to each other of what we did last summer. <laughs> we have a covenant. <laughs> okay, my darling little convent girl. There is some star too near the earth, for I am still in a fever fit of animal desire. Today I stopped short often in the street with an exclamation whenever I thought of the letters I wrote to you last night and the night before. They must read awful in the cold light of the day. Perhaps their coarseness has disgusted you. I know you are much finer nature than your extraordinary lover, and thought it was yourself, you hot little girl, who first wrote to me saying that you were longing to be fucked by me, yet I suppose the wild filth and obscenity of my reply went beyond all bounds of modesty. When I got your express letter this morning and saw how careful you are of your worthless gym, I felt ashamed of what I had written. Yet now, night, secret sinful night, has come down again on the world, and I am alone again, writing to you, and your letter is again folded before me on the table. Do not ask me to go to bed, dear. Let me write to you, dear. Jim, go to bed. (laughs) As you know, dearest, I never use obscene phrases in speaking. You have never heard me, have you, utter an unfit word before others. When men tell in my presence, hear filthy or lecherous stories, I hardly smile. Hardly do, but you know, still do. Yet you seem to turn me into a beast. It was you yourself, you naughty, shameless girl, who first led the way. 
It was not I who first touched you long ago down at Ringsend. It was you who slid your hand down inside my trousers and pulled my shirt softly aside and touched my prick with your long, tickling fingers. And I gradually took it all, fat and stiff as it was, into your hand and frigged me slowly until I came off through your fingers, all the time bending over me and gazing at me out of your quiet, saint-like eyes. It was your lips, too, which first uttered an obscene word. I remember well that night in bed and pola. Tried of, tired of lying under a man one night, you tore off your chemise violently and began to ride me up and down. Perhaps the horn I had was not big enough for you, for I remember that you bent down to my face and murmured tenderly, Fuck me, love. Fuck me up, love. Nora, dear, I am dying all day to ask you one or two questions. Let me, dear, for I have told you everything I ever did, and so I can ask you in turn. I wonder, will you answer them? When that person whose heart I longed to stop with the click of a revolver put his hand or hands under your skirts, did he only tickle you outside, or did he put his finger or fingers up? Finger or fingers? <laughs> we fucking wrote that. Finger or fingers up into you. If he did, did they go far enough to touch that little cock at the end of your cunt? Did he touch you behind? Was he a long time tickling you, and did you come? Did he ask you to touch him, and did you do so? If you did not touch him, did he come against you, and did you feel it? Another question, Nora. Jeez. <laughs> I'm guessing Nora was in, uh, engaging in infidelity as well, Remember probably. Remember, that's what he was like writing the sad sap letters about. Oh, I didn't get because, that. Yeah, because like she, he accused her of infidelity. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I don't think so. She's like, no. Mm. And also, you know, he had no right to, just like we thought he was sleeping with sex workers. Oh, right on. Another question, Nora. I know that I was the first man that blocked you, but you did, uh, that blocked you, but did any man ever frig you did that boy you were fond of ever do it tell me now nora truth for truth honesty for honesty when you were with him in the dark at night did your fingers never never unbutton his trousers and slip inside like mice did you ever frig him dear tell me truly or anyone else do you never 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 feel a man's or a boy's prick in your fingers until you unbuttoned me if you are not offended do not be afraid to tell me the truth darling darling tonight i have such a wild lust for you that if you were here beside me and even if you told me with your own lips that the half red-headed louts of galloway had had a fuck at you before me i would still rush at you with desire god almighty what kind of language is this i'm writing to be proud blue-eyed queen to my proud blue-eyed queen will she refuse to answer my coarse insulting questions i know i am risking a good deal in writing this but if she loves me she really will tell me that i am mad with lust and that i must be told all 
Sweetheart, answer me. Even if I learn that you too have sinned, perhaps it would bind me closer to you. In any case, I love you. I have written and said things to you that my pride would never allow me to say to any woman. My darling Nora, I am panting with eagerness at your... Wait, so he's sitting here writing about this, like, hey, tell me who fingered you. Like, tell me. Yeah. <sighs> oh, you gotta tell me. No, you gotta tell me. Who's fucked you? Can I watch? Yeah. You want it? He's a little pain piggy. Well, it sounds like you wanted a good old cooking. <laughs> Don't be angry, dear, dear Nora, my little wildflower of the hedges. I love your body. Long for it. Dream of it. Speak to me, dear lips that I have kissed in tears. If this filth I have written insults you, bring me to my senses again with the lash as you have done before. God help me. I love you, Nora, and it seems that this too is a part of my love. Forgive me. Forgive me. Jim. <laughs> Dude's a quack. Get ready. Put some worn brown linoleum on the kitchen. Oh my God. Really? He's starting it with that? Get ready, baby. Shit on the kitchen floor. <laughs> that's This is a totally different letter, and that's how he starts it. Get ready. Put some warm brown linoleum on the kitchen and hang a pair of red common curtains on the windows at night. Get some kind of cheap, common, comfortable armchair for your lazy lover. Do this above all, darling, as I shall not quit the kitchen for a whole week after I arrive, reading, lolling, smoking, and watching you get ready the meals and talking, talking, talking you do. Oh, how supremely happy I shall be. God in heaven, I shall be happy here. I figoli e fuoco, fuoco, un bono mangiata, un caffè nero, un brasil, il piccolo des, della sera, e Nora, Nora mia, Nora Nina, Noretta, Norella, Norucia, ecca, ecca. Eva and Eileen must sleep together. Get some place for Georgie. I wish Nora and I had two beds for night work. <laughs> I am keeping and shall keep my promise, love. Time fly on, fly on quickly. I want to go back to my love, my life, my star, my little strange-eyed Ireland. A hundred thousand kisses, darling, Jim. I wonder if there's any more. Let's see. I think this is the one. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I, I don't think we've read this one. Here's another one. 16 December 1909. My sweet darling girl, at last you write to me. You must have given that a naughty little cunt of yours, a most fear ferocious frigging to write me such a disjointed letter. Like, she's just, like, fingering herself and writing while she's doing it. It's like the ink is just going, like, flying off. Like, trying to put on lipstick while you're on a bumpy road. I mean, I'm, like, thinking about this. I'm like, okay. So, first off, he's asking her to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And she's probably, like, sitting there, like, okay, i got to come up with the nastiest things that I can say to him. 
Humanly possible. <laughs> so that he can watch me poop again. <laughs> he, he wants to watch that shit. All right. At last you write me. You must have given that a, that naughty little cunt of yours a most ferocious frigging to write me such a disjointed letter. As for me, darling, I am so played out that you would have to lick me for a good hour before I could get a horn stiff enough to even put into you to say nothing of blocking you. I have done so much and so often that I am afraid to look to see that thing I had is, after all, I have done to myself. Darling, please don't fuck me too much when I get back. Fuck all you can out of me for the first night or so, but make me get myself cured. The fucking must all be done by you, darling. Mm -hmm. I am so soft and small now that no girl in Europe except yourself would waste her time trying the job. Fuck me, darling, in as many ways as your lust will suggest. Fuck me dressed in your full outdoor costume with your hat and veil on, your face flushed with the cold and wind and rain and your boots muddy, either straddling across my legs when I am sitting on a chair and riding me up and down with the frills of your drawers showing and uh, my cock sticking up stiff in your cunt or riding me over the back of the sofa. Fuck me fuck me naked with your hat and stockings on only flat on the floor with a crimson flower in your hole behind oh, stick a flower up your ass and fuck me <laughs> writing me like a man with your thighs between mine oh yeah amazon position with your thighs between mine and your rump very fat <laughs> fuck me in your dressing gown I hope you have that nice one with nothing on under it, opening it suddenly and showing me your belly and thighs and back, pulling me on top of you in that kitchen table. Fuck me into you arsewise, lying on your face on the bed, your hair flying loose and naked, but, when a, but with a lovely scented pair of pink drawers opened shamelessly behind and half slipping down over your peeping bum. Fuck me if you can, squatting in the closet. He's obsessed with the closet. He's really into like doing it in the closet. With your clothes up, grunting like a young sow doing her dung in a big, fat, dirty, shaking thing coming slowly out of your backside. Fuck me on the stairs in the dark like a nursery maid fucking her soldier, unbuttoning his trousers gently and slipping her hand into his fly and fiddling with his shirt and feel, feeling it get wet and then pulling it up gently and fiddling with his two bustling, bursting balls and at last pulling out a boldly the mick and pulling out boldly the Mickey she loves to handle and frigging it him softly, murmuring into his ear dirty words and dirty stories that other girls told her and dirty things she said, and all the time pissing her drawers with pleasure and letting, well, letting, into it all. letting off soft little farts behind her until her own girlish cocky is as stiff as his, and suddenly sticking him 
up in her and writing him, Basta, basta per Dio. I've come now, and the foolery is over. Now for your questions. We are not open yet. I sent you some posters. We hope uh, we hope to open on the 20th or 21st. Count 14 days from that and three and a half days for the voyage, and I am in Trieste. Thoughts on that on that one? I mean, with each letter, it seems that I find out another one of his sexual preferences. His kinks? Yep. So, fucking while shitting, he's into pee. Pee, poo. Closets. Closets. He's into... Um, uh, um, uh, masochism. Yep. He's into masochism. But, butt play. Butt play. Mm-hmm. And watching his wife is into cuckery. Cuckery. Um... All right, so here's the next one, December 6, 1909. So, okay, this one came first, actually, December 6. Noretta mia, I got your pitiful letter this evening telling me you were going about with underclothes. I did not get 200 crowns on the 25th, but only 50 crowns and 50 again on the 1st. Enough about money. I'll send you a little banknote and hope you may be able to buy a pretty frilly pair of drawers, at least for yourself, out of it, and will send you more when I am paid again. I would like you to wear drawers with three or four frills, one over the other at the knee and up at the thighs, and great crimson bows in them. I mean not the schoolgirl's drawers, with a thin, shabby lace border, tight around the legs and so thin that the flesh shows between them, but women's, or if you'd prefer the word, ladies' drawers, with a full, loose bottom and wide legs, and frills and lace and ribbons, and heavy with perfume, so that whenever you show them, whether in pulling up your clothes hastily to do something, or in cuddling yourself up prettily to be blocked. I can see you, or I can see only a swelling mass of white surf and frills, and so that when I bend you over to open them and give you a burning, lustful kiss on your naughty bare bum, I can smell the perfume of your drawers as well as the warm odor of your cunt. He is always talking about that. And the heavy smell of your behind. Oh, boy. Have I shocked you by the dirty things I wrote to you? You think perhaps that my love is a filthy thing? It is, darling. At some moments. I dream of you in filthy poses sometimes. I think about things so very dirty that I will not write them until I see you, until I see how you write yourself. The smallest things give me a great cock stand, a whorish movement of your mouth, a little brown stain on the seat of your white drawers, a sudden dirty word sputtered out by your wet lips, a sudden immodest noise made by your behind, and then a bad smell slowly curling up out of your backside. At such moments, I feel mad to do it in some filthy way, to feel your hot, lecherous lips sucking away at me, to fuck you between your two rosy-tipped bubbies, to, <laughs> to come on your face and squirt it over your hot cheeks and eyes, to stick it up between the cheeks of your rump and bugger you. Bastem per stare sara. 
whatever that is. <laughs> I hope you got my telegram and understood it. Goodbye, my darling, whom I am trying to degrade and deprave. How on God's earth can you possibly love a thing like me? Oh, I'm so anxious to get your reply, darling. Jim. Yeah, I mean, he just proved a point to me. W what point is that? He likes that he wants to see a poop stain. What now? A poop stain on the underwear. Yeah. Feel a little weird about that. That he wants to see her shit stained undies. Yeah, and then he keeps talking about boxers, like women's boxers. Mm -hmm. Is that like what women were wearing for boxer shorts? Granny panties. Old lady granny panties with the frills. You know, you wear under a petticoat and shit like that. Yeah, but he said like down to the knees. Think. This is 1920s. Okay. So little lady boxer sort of things. Yeah. yeah okay. Like those. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, you know, I think this episode's gone on long enough, and we've still got a couple other, we've got a f two more letters to read. I think I want to finish reading these in the bonus episode, okay, and then go on to the other thing we were going to talk about, which should be pretty fun. We're going to judge people. Okay. <laughs> so that's it for this episode. If you made it this far, thank you for tuning in. Um, if you want to catch the bonus content, and if you're not already, become a patron at patreon.com slash that thing with James. Again, it's only five bucks a month, and you will get one free, or yeah, you pay five bucks, and you'll get a <laughs> bonus episode for free every week during the month for which you're subscribed. And it's only five bucks to start, you know. It's, I, I think it's worth it. It's yeah. pretty, pretty fun stuff. Um, and that's it. Thank you again for tuning in. I love you. And I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.